Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Congressman Alan Grayson, former U.S. Congressman from the 9th District of Florida, the author of a new book, High Crimes, The Impeachment of Donald Trump. His book is available, you know, wherever books are available. And uh, Congressman Grayson, welcome back to the program, first off. Thanks. It's available at impeachbook.com. Thank impeachbook you, Impeachbook.com. Thank you very much. Right. This whole impeachment process of Donald Trump uh, Mitch McConnell saying he doesn't want to have any witnesses. He's going to have a fast trial. Basically, the thing is rigged. You've got Lisa Murkowski saying, well, wait a minute. You know, I might want to hear from a witness. And then, of course, Susan Collins playing both sides, as she always does. You know, oh, I'm very concerned. Uh, maybe we should have witnesses. Well, I don't think we need, you know, whatever. Uh, where's that? How does that play out? Well, it plays out fundamentally differently from where people appear to think it plays out, and that includes the leadership of both parties. Basically, what happened in the House is a grand jury vote, as if it were in a criminal case. What happens in the Senate is a jury decision. When's the last time you saw a criminal trial, a jury trial? When is the last time you saw a jury trial without witnesses? It doesn't happen. That's not the way things work, especially in a criminal case or a quasi-criminal case. Now, the, so but the Republicans are asserting that the Clinton impeachment trial did not have witnesses. Is that simply a lie? Or? That was by agreement of all 100 senators unanimously. You'd never have an agreement like that today. The normal procedure, if you look at it historically, which the book does, it looks at all of the impeachments in the federal system, all the impeachments of governors, and so on and so forth. If you look at it historically, what happens next is that after the impeachment managers are appointed, they call witnesses, just like a prosecutor would in a criminal case. Right. And then uh, if there's an objection to that witness, then the chief justice will rule whether the witness's testimony would be relevant or irrelevant. And then any senator can appeal the ruling, and then there'll be some kind of vote on it if some senator appeals. But think about how that looks if the House impeachment managers call someone as a witness, and then the chief justice rules in their favor that the witness's testimony would be relevant, and then Mitch McConnell tries to stuff everybody on a 51 to 49 or 52 to 48 vote and try to cut that off. That clearly looks like obstruction of justice on Mitch McConnell's part. Hmm. Now, just I, I would like to put the Clinton argument to bed because it, I hear it repeated every day on right-wing talk radio. 
The reason why all 100 senators agreed that there was no need to hear from any more witnesses in the Bill Clinton impeachment was because Bill Clinton himself had already testified. Many, many other people had come forward. Ken Starr had spent $74 million, if I'm remembering correctly, and three or four years investigating the Clintons for a whole variety of things that ended up with the Paula Jones trial that led to Monica Lewinsky and that led to his line about having consensual sex with another adult outside of his marriage, which, you know, happens. And I think everybody felt, and then Ken Starr came out with that pornographic report that was tens of thousands of pages long or thousands of pages long that we were just like drenched in testimony and uh, you know I remember NPR uh, reporting on it at the time you know driving down the street listening to NPR where the reporters were having to say and and please forgive us for using this word and then they would you know use the word penis or something like that and you know quoting Ken Starr and the, and and it was it, it was such a challenge I mean that that's the exact opposite of what is happening here, where there has been no grand jury, there has been no testimony by the president, there has been no testimony by any of the people close to him or anybody around him, um, and there has been no special prosecutor, and the House of Representatives has been trying to do this by themselves, and they've been completely stonewalled. Do I have that right? Yes, entirely right. And in Ken Starr's case, he accomplished something that people didn't even think was possible. He managed to make pornography boring. Right. Uh, but as to where we are right now, that's entirely correct. What ought to happen is the House managers ought to call a certain number of witnesses to prove their case, just as you would a criminal trial. And I think they ought to call Donald Trump. I think they should call Donald Trump as a witness. And if he wants to plead the fifth, that is fine with me. Now, I'm watching Joe Biden do a, a delicate dance with this, and I can just imagine either his internal dialogue or his consultants or handlers or whatever the appropriate word is for somebody running for president talking with him. Trump says, I want Joe Biden to testify, and Joe immediately is like, wait a minute, you're trying to make this trial about me? Well, of course, the whole thing has been about him. It's really about Trump, obviously, but, you know, it's about Trump's attempts to smear Joe Biden in advance of the election. And so he's thinking, well, harump, you know, I'm not going to play into that. And then the Republicans start saying, well, Joe Biden says he doesn't have to testify. If he doesn't have to testify, then why should Mick Mulvaney have to testify? And at which point Joe Biden starts saying, well, maybe I would testify if I was subpoenaed. This has got to be a really, really tricky one. And I would think if Joe Biden testified, if it's true, and I'm perfectly willing to believe that it is. In fact, I fully believe that it is that he not only had nothing to do with his son getting that job, but probably knew nothing about it until well after the fact, because he had put this firewall between himself and his kids, which I think was a mistake, but nonetheless, then probably his testimony would actually be a good thing for Joe Biden. But what are your thoughts on both the legalism of this as an attorney and an author and the politics of this as a former member of Congress? Well, he clearly made the wrong decision here. First of all, it's not voluntary. What would happen in reality is that President Trump's attorneys, he's entitled to representation at the Senate hearing. His attorneys would call Joe Biden as a witness, and then the Chief Justice would make a ruling one way or another whether Biden's testimony is relevant or not. Probably would rule that it's irrelevant, but you can't be sure of that. Okay. And then one senator would be able to appeal that ruling, and then there'd be a vote on it as to whether Joe Biden would be required to testify. And if he, the vote is against Biden, he would have to testify whether he likes it or not. There's a police force that exists for the Senate that exists for the purpose, among other things, of making sure that people who are called to testify with the Senate actually do testify before the Senate. So what he should have done, Tom, what he should have done is said, I'll testify if Donald Trump will testify. Right. And that would have been the end of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, good point. The House can continue with this impeachment proceeding and also with other impeachment proceedings. But goodness, I mean, Donald Trump is a walking, talking impeachable offense. You know, he's guilty of, of so many other forms of abuse of power, so many other forms of obstruction of justice. He's guilty of tax evasion. He's guilty of sexual crimes. He's guilty of this, that, and the other thing. The book demonstrates that of the nine different things that people have been impeached for in the past, Donald Trump is guilty of all of them. It's a remarkable accomplishment for any human being. The House can continue to collect information on this impeachment proceeding and on other impeachment proceedings, and I think that they should do that. You know, for instance, everybody knows he's been cheating on his taxes. The New York Times wrote a 15,000-word article on it one week to document it all. And, of course, he's gone out of his way to prevent any release of his tax information, both before, during, and after the campaign. So what they ought to do is get the appropriate documentation and set that in motion as well. People don't realize this, but one of the impeachment uh, provisions against Nixon, uh, which they decided not to proceed with, but they actually had written it up and introduced it, was to show that Nixon had underpaid his taxes by $400,000. Well, Donald Trump has probably underpaid his taxes by $400 million. Yeah, and so in the case an of Nixon... impeachable offense for Nixon... It's an impeachable offense for Trump as well. Yeah, amen. And in the case of Nixon, as I recall, it was because Nixon failed to report a bribe he took. <laughs> it's like Agnew. Agnew failed to report a bribe he took. Okay. Remarkable stuff. The book is called High Crimes, The Impeachment of Donald Trump. It's available on impeachmentbook.com. No, impeachbook.com. Impeachbook. Thank impeachbook.com. you, sir. Impeachbook.com. Thank you, sir. Yes. We will get that written Thank down you, for future references. And you can also tweet Congressman Grayson at Alan, A-L-A-N, Grayson. Congressman, thanks a lot for dropping by. Always great talking with you. Thank you, Tom. Have Thank a great day. Thank you. Tom Harmon here with you. So uh, just a couple of quick uh, news points with regard to, uh, you know, what's going on right now with this crazed uh, right-wing administration we have. The Trump administration is refusing to go along with normal policies in terms of revealing the cost of Donald Trump's trips. It looks like Donald Trump in his first year spent more on Secret Service protection and flights and hotel rooms and things like that for his uh, protection detail. In his first year, he spent more than Barack Obama did in his entire eight years. And, of course, every time Obama went golfing or went to Hawaii, Trump would be tweeting, rage tweeting about it. But it looks like he spent more in his first year than Obama did in his eight years. But this year, he's refusing to release the information. They're trying to stonewall everybody. And this is just another example of the Trump, the grifter Trump crime family getting rich on you and me. And then secondly, the presser that Trump did this morning was ostensibly about the fact that they are rolling back regulations put into place by the EPA and by the environmental, various environmental laws to say that most mines, pipelines, and agricultural and industrial sites of all type would not be subject to environmental review as part of their approval process. So you want to build a pipeline? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what kind of environmental damage it's going to do. Even federal su- projects subject to review could specifically ignore long-term effects, things like climate change, And the public would have no right to see any of the information that companies or government had collected about the negative outcomes that could happen. This is as bad as it gets. I mean, it's just even, it's just as bad as it gets. Gwendolyn in Rialto, California. Hey, Gwendolyn, what's up? Trump hates Obama so much. You know how he's just so jealous of him. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why his name 
he says his name so much, it just sent a code to his white supremacist supporters. Because during the time of Obama, the white supremacist grew, grew by tenfold in terms of uh, them organizing. So I think it's a code that he uses. Every time he says Obama name, it's just to let them know, hey, I'm still got you. I'm still in your corner. What do you think? I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the conventional wisdom is that he trash talks Obama all the time because he's so insecure and he, you know, he's trying to compare himself to a beloved president in a way that makes it look like he should be even more beloved. But I think that your point is probably closer to the truth, Gwendolyn. It's a given that he's neurotic and insecure and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, he's dog whistling. And it hadn't occurred to me before that that was exactly what he's doing. It makes a lot of sense. Gwendolyn, thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Richard in Uma, Arizona. Hey, Richard, what's up? I think Hillary got it all wrong. She said deplorables. Actually, she should have said deplorables. In other words, you're saying that when Hillary talked about the deplorables and she was talking about Trump voters, right. she was characterizing them as you know morally deficient or, or stupid or something. And really, they're just misinformed. They're the dupes. They're the people that Trump has duped. Is that your point? Absolutely. You yeah. bet. Yeah. But well said. I don't want to specifically criticize Hillary, but I think your point is well made, Richard. And I agree with it. Kim in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Kim, what's up? Five times a day, we get news of him breaking trust, the law, blah, blah, blah. If you put how many days he's been in office, which I'm going with 1,049 times five, you have 5,555 articles of impeachment. I want to say I agree with the strategy right now. They are cutting off, Congress is cutting off the head of the beast. He has a whole corrupt network that is doing his bidding, and we need to remove him or at least get it on the record as quickly as possible. There are books written that will will be books written that will go down in history to all of his crimes in his administration. But people need to get the message that you need to stop being corrupt. And the Democrats are following the rule of law. They're showing us what true states people are, and we need to support them. They are returning to our values and our principles. Amen. And I encourage people to join a group, because we can have all the opinions, but when we come together, we are strong. We took Congress back. We're winning elections in 2019, and it's groups doing the work on the ground Join a group. Get your opinions with a group. Yep. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. I'm with you. And Kim, I I totally support. In fact, I just wrote down 10,000 lies. It's actually 10,000 plus. That should be an article. You know, the one hit that the Republicans always put on Barack Obama is when he said, if you like your doctor, you can keep him under, you know, Obamacare. He lied for about 3% of people, right? And as far as I know, the only thing that Barack Obama said in eight years that wasn't 100% truthful, and I, I think when he said it, he believed it was truthful. Donald Trump, on the other hand, literally has told over 10,000 lies. He lies every single day. I think that your point is well taken. Thank you, Kim. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? Uh, Hello, Tom. I want to talk about impeachment for Trump. And you brought up a good point with Cambodia. 
something that has been missed with the Trump administration is the fact that Donald Trump's war policy, the neoconservative agenda, has been basically still in full swing. For example, I've cited this before, but Air Wars cited that Donald Trump killed more civilians in nine months with drone strikes than Obama did in eight years. Whoa, everybody was criticizing Obama for his drone strikes. Yeah, yeah, straight from Air Wars. I mean, a, a lot of it had to do with ISIS, but, you know, I mean, those, those are still civilians with the Mosul and Baca. But he drops a bomb every 13 minutes around the world. That doesn't get covered. He's attacked the Syrian Arab Republic at least over He sold times. out the Kurds. What? Sold out the Kurds. He supported the uh, fascist coup in Bolivia. He's increased civilian casualties in places like Iraq. None of this seems to be getting covered at all. Yeah, I agree. Excellent points. And the two in particular that I like are his uh, selling out the Kurds and his supporting the coup in Bolivia. That's that's good stuff. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So, Susan Collins, by the way, initially she'd said, well, it would be nice to hear from witnesses. And then yesterday, the day before, she said, well, we're we're just going to go along with whatever rules Mr. McConnell comes up with, Senate Majority Leader McConnell. Today, it's being reported that she said that she is working with a, quote, very small group, end quote, of Republicans in the Senate to try to have the rules established in such a way that the Senate will actually be able to hear witnesses. She didn't say anything about subpoenaing material evidence. The House has subpoenaed from the White House call records, internal communications, emails, all kinds of stuff. And the White House has just ignored all of it. The Trump administration, they've, they've totally stonewalled. This is a massive cover-up is happening and has been happening from day one with regard to the crimes of this president being orchestrated out of the White House. And obviously, you know, right at the center of that are Mike Pompeo and Bill Barr, in addition to obviously Donald Trump and Mike Pence. We'll see where it all goes. I'm wondering if that comment by Susan Collins might be the thing that pushed Nancy Pelosi over to say, "Okay, we'll do this next week. I don't know. You know, I have a feeling that when the history books are written on this, it's going to be a fascinating story to tell. Stephanie in Rockville, Maryland. Hey, Stephanie, what's on your mind today? 
Um, what's on my mind is how the timing of sending these articles of impeachment to the Senate could impact uh, the primary or the next election. Um, when I first heard that Pelosi was holding on to them, I thought, wow, she's a brilliant tactician. Because if the Democrats take the Senate and Trump somehow gets reelected, it would be great to have those articles in our back pocket at that time to put forward them, because we know this Senate's not going to do anything. But I have become so cynical that it actually occurred to me that if she does what she seems to be planning to do and release in the next few weeks, it will have a disproportionate negative impact on the two progressives that are seeking the Democratic Party nomination right in the lead up to Super Tuesday. And I wanted to know what you thought of that. How would it in, how would this uh, how would the impeachment going forward hurt uh, Warren and Sanders because they're senators because and they'd have they'd to show have up to, for the trial? Yes, exactly. They'd have to come off the trail. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it would be a fatal blow, but it would impact them in the near-term primaries. You know, I've heard Chuck Todd say that, but I disagree. I think that if they're in the Senate and they're jurors in the trial and the trial is going to be what everybody's attention is on, they're going to be able to walk in front of any camera they want any time they want and pontificate on things that have to do with the trial anyway. Um, I think it may provide them, a, and not just them, I mean any other senator who wants to become president too. Cory Booker's still in the race, for example, um, the senator from New Jersey. Uh, I think it might actually provide them with a higher profile opportunity. I hope you're right, because I'm very, I, I see a lot of things that concern me a great deal, what with some of the articles in the mainstream media and stuff like yeah. that that are totally uh, biased and, and really trying to force an outcome in the Democratic primary, and I have very little faith. <laughs> yeah, I get it, and I, I share your skepticism, but I'm not fatalistic about this. I, you know, I think that there's still a lot that could go wrong for Donald Trump at this point, and you know, we just have to keep leaning on our members of Congress, from yours in Maryland to mine here in Oregon, and to everybody else in between. It's time to start calling senators and telling them what we think. Stephanie, I got to okay. move along. Thank, Thank you, you very Tom. much for All the right. call. Bye. Good talking with you, Lamont in. Indianapolis, Indiana. Hey, Lamont, what's up? Why is it that they, none of these Democrats are just coming out and just saying that Trump lied and we know that he did his bombing because of his poll numbers and to take our minds off impeachment? And I think two, they should say so. I think they're, yeah. trying to, they're trying to be respectful, and I think the time for that is long past, especially with this guy. Yeah, a long time ago. And just call him a liar, and any Republicans that get on TV, just call them liars. Yep. We're all grown. Just quit peeing around, you know, also, in regards to the uh, Iranians, mm -hmm. uh, I want to know if my tax dollars going to be going towards any type of security at any type of Trump properties or anything. Because remember, they did say that they're not after the American people. They want to hurt Trump. And, yeah. you know, bombing one of his properties would severely hurt, you know, people wanting to even rent or have, you know, their businesses in the buildings. Right. And this is one of the problems for that. Yeah, this is one of the problems with a president who who doesn't put things in a blind trust. I mean, even Richard Nixon put his stuff in a blind trust, as I recall. Certainly, Jimmy Carter nearly lost his farm because he put it in a blind trust. Um, but it, it, Trump wants to continue getting all the money from going to his properties and having the Secret Service go there along with him and his sons and his daughter. And I mean, you know, it's just the whole the whole this whole grifter family is just using this as an excuse or a, a strategy or technique or something to suck more money out of America. And it's it's disgusting. I, I would love to position. see something done about it. Say what? 
He's a projectionist. He's a projectionist. Yeah, yeah. I'm, if, I'm with if you. you want any, if you want any idea of what he's going to do about anything, look for a tweet that he said Obama was going to do, and as based describing himself. Sure. And the strike on Iran for purely political purposes is right at the top of that list. Lamont, spot yeah. on. Thank you very much, George in Portland, Oregon. Hey, George, what's up? Is it wrong to tell you that Mitch McConnell has done more damage to our democracy than anyone in American history? Um, and during Obama's presidency. When he essentially asked Republicans to sit on their hands and just say no. For a whole year to Merrick Garland, yeah. Not only to Merrick Garland, but just to anything like he still continues to do with all the bills, you know, piling up on his desk. Forcing Obama to use executive orders uh, for for anything he wanted to get done, giving the the media, the, the propaganda machine, the ability to complain about Obama using executive orders on a daily basis, creating this animosity towards Obama on a daily basis, and yeah. now giving Trump uh, justification for using executive orders when he wants to, because, hey, Obama did it. You know, yeah. it, it's like this two-pronged approach. And is, is, is Mitch, do you think that Mitch McConnell is viewed as a hero in the Republican Party because of this? I do. Yeah, he absolutely is. The way to defeat Mitch McConnell is to send support to Amy McGrath. He has a woman running against him in Kentucky who is solid. I mean, she's a Mm -hmm. fighter pilot. She's a mother. She's been a legislator, I believe. She's got a go to Amy McGrath's website. And I think it's amymcgrath.com, but it's easily Googleable or DuckDuckGoable or whatever. And she's got this little four minute video on the front page that will bring tears to your eyes and 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 hopefully get 25 bucks out of your wallet. And that's what we need to be doing is we need to be taking Mitch McConnell down in the election. And, you know, supporting Amy McGrath, I think, is one of the very best ways to do that. George, thanks for the call. Your point's very well made. And I I do think that Mitch McConnell has done extraordinary damage to our republic and what will probably be lasting damage. And, uh, you know, what you're seeing right now is an America that, as Jimmy Carter pointed out in this program four years ago, has ceased to be a full functioning democracy and wandered into oligarchy. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. And it's the exact and direct result of Supreme Court decisions in 76, 78, 2010, Citizens United, Buckley, First National Bank, those decisions. David in Naugatuck. Thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up, David? There was a recent uh, ruling as far as the Supreme Court, and there were three cases brought before it on the emolerance clause. Mm-hmm. And on the emolerance clause, there uh, were a decision uh, against public as far as it, and only Congress has the right to process it. Now, the question I was asking, if Congress has the right to process it, why is there such a delay on impeachment? Because it seems like what's really happening is that the Trump administration is trying to put the kibosh on any type of impeachment program. Yeah. The delay up to this point has been a consequence of the Trump administration refusing to turn documents over to Congress. So Congress doesn't know what's going on. They can't get Trump's tax returns, every federal agency, Treasury, Interior, EPA, Education, Labor, all of these cabinet offices and all these government agencies that are involved in corrupt practices with regard to Donald Trump, particularly as it comes to the Emoluments Clause, but in other impeachable areas, are refusing to turn documents over to Congress. As a consequence of that, they're not making the news. 
As a consequence of that, you've only got a little more than half of all the Democrats in Congress saying we would like an impeachment hearing. And the consequence of that is that I'm not familiar with the Supreme Court case that you're talking about. Basically, the bottom line is that if you want to hold the president accountable for crimes, you do it through the impeachment process. Congress does that. Is that what you're talking about, David? Uh, no, there were two cases brought between the, I guess it was uh, the, the courts, and it was involving the two business cases that involved the emolerance clause. Oh, these were lower court and they cases. they said that yes. there's no interest in the businesses on what Trump was doing. Right. And they said they actually threw the cases out of court. Right. And they said that only Congress has the right to process the emolerance. Uh, right. The reason, the reason for that, and this can be changed. The reason for that is that the compensation of the president by foreign and domestic interests is prohibited in the Constitution under the Emoluments Clause, but there's not a specific law that says that. Congress never passed a law saying the president may not take money from foreign governments. Uh, you know, they certainly should have, <laughs> but to the best of my knowledge, there's no such law. So when you go to a, to a court and you say, put this guy in jail because of this, or hit him with a fine, depending on whether you're going criminal or civil. Um, the courts say, you know, it's not against the law specifically, it's against the Constitution. And the Supreme Court arguably could enforce the Constitution. This was not the Supreme Court that made these two decisions, though, David. Um, but directly, the, the, the one direct agency that is intended by the Constitution to hold the president accountable for high crimes and misdemeanors, which is malfeasance in office, and, and the Commission of Crimes, is the House of Representatives uh, launching an impeachment prosecution and the United States Senate holding the trial. Basically, that's what they were saying. That's just the way it is. And, and so what we have to do, David, is we have to pressure the rest of the Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives. And frankly, if you're represented by a Republican, let them know, too, that we want this guy out. It's time to impeach Donald Trump. This guy's a criminal. It's a new year. Time is marching on. It doesn't have to march all over your face. You know, with every passing year, we all look older. But now all that's changed thanks to Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It is magic in a bottle. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. Simply put this powerful serum on problem areas, and within minutes, voila, a new, younger you. And the best part, no surgery, no Botox, no shots, nothing. It's all natural. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with Plexiderm for smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. And it goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles behind with Plexiderm. Go to Plexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN for half off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998. Or visit Plexiderm.com today and use the code HARTMAN with two N's on the end at checkout. Tom Harbin here with you. Hey, just a, a quick heads up. Uh, with the Hartman Report, hartmanreport.com is the website, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N report.com. We were posting news stories there for a while. We were trying to use it as kind of a news site. Didn't quite work out. We've reinvented it and taken all the op-eds that I've written. In fact, Sue Nethercutt led the charge on doing the research for this. And thanks so much, Sue. You, you, she, just, she just did a spectacular job. I've written a couple thousand, I think, uh, certainly hundreds 
of op-eds over the last 15, 20 years, and, and they're all there right now. You can, you can look by year, you can look by site, uh, and uh, the most recent one is always at the top. Uh, so, which and the, my most recent op-ed was how America broke up with the Democratic Party. I've got two other op-eds that I've written in the last week that will probably be going up later this week or early next week. They'll show up there too. One about contaminated pharmaceuticals. Um, and in any case, you, you, you'll see all that. So, if you if you're ever looking for any of the op-eds that I've written, um, check out HartmanReport.com and it'll get you to them. So. Anyhow, all that said, let's pick up some of your phone calls. Charles in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? Uh, good afternoon, Tom. Um, I was calling to speak on Nancy Pelosi and holding the articles. Uh-huh. And I would agree with her to withhold them um, because it does two things. It allows all these court cases that have flown through the courts to get adjudicated. But as bad as the Republicans want to run out the clock by her holding back the articles actually reverses that process and in the meantime all kinds of unwanted information on trump is going to come out and that alone would sway the public yep which will force the republicans to do hopefully the right thing I, I, I don't think you could ever rely on the Republicans to do the right thing. But your point, your point is right, Charles. I, I think, and you know, and the one kind of an anemic, uh, you know, point that the media keeps making, and all these other people who are trying to shift the pressure from uh, McConnell to Pelosi, uh, you know, they, they're 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 making these, uh, you know, frankly rather pathetic articles, like you know. Well, you know, the pressure is building on Pelosi. Can she deal with it and stuff like that? And it's like, hey, come on, give me a break. This is and, and, and you're absolutely right. More, and the other argument they're making is, well, if this goes into February, then, you know, the campaign is going to be the primaries. And you got a bunch of senators, you know, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders who are running it. And, and uh, that's going to be bad for them. I don't believe it's going to be bad for anybody. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Charles. Okay. Let it go all the way to June. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I didn't go all the way to June. Yep. Pelosi, excuse me, Miss Pelosi is going to be Miss Pelosi, and she's going to tune out all of the congressional noise. Yeah, she's I. Gonna do, she's going to do, and in the end, is going to benefit all of us. I think you're right, Charles. I know. I hope you're right. Thank you for the call, Nikki in Joplin, Missouri. Hey, Nikki, what's up? Hi, Tom. This I'm a first-time caller. I love your show. Thank I you. agree with you 100% about Nancy Pelosi. We need to fought, start fighting fire with fire. And um, all these reporters that come up to her and ask her, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I never heard that when um, um, McConnell was taking the judge, judge away from us. Right. I never heard that. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, they're they're. Well, what they're, do you think of the media doing that? I mean, I get frustrated. You know, the media has a clear Republican bias, uh, Nikki. Uh, it's just when that did simple. That start? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's uh, back with the Reagan administration. I would say. I mean, I remember all the way back in the '80s yelling at the at the Sunday TV shows, "You're letting Republicans get away with lies," and why don't you have more Democrats on? I mean, you know, we 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 went through this at the tail end of the Bush presidency. There was actually uh, some some good reporting that was being done about how often Republicans showed up on the Sunday news shows, and the the wow. and and the and the response that came from the big networks 
works was, well, the Republicans are in charge of the government, and so they're the powerful ones, and so we need to have them on. So then Obama comes into office, and he's got he's got the House, the Senate, and the White House, you know, for the first 74 days or thereabouts, and 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 it, still they're putting more Republicans on Face the Nation to meet the press and on these weekend shows than I they are know. Democrats. And they said, well, why are you putting more Republicans on? And the media said, well, because they're in the opposition, and you need to hear the voice of the opposition. It is always going to be more Republicans. That's the simple bias of the corporate media. It's really simple. And they simple. can't call them out on their lies. Like yeah. uh, Trump lied just the other day when he was speaking at a press conference. Why can't the media say, now that was a lie, right after it? Yeah, well, yeah. It's, or, or simply not even carry his lies. I mean, I, I, right. I, don't, I don't carry his speeches on this show because you, know, right. you can't even fact check this stuff fast enough in real time. Nikki, thank you for the call. Well said. Victor in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Victor, what's up? Hey, Tom. You know, I think uh, there's another political calculation that has to be made about sending the articles of impeachment over now. This is very a very bad time to do so because Mitch McConnell will use the excuse that since we're in a crisis situation with Iran, we need to uh, make sure the president doesn't have uh, this impeachment trial on, uh, uh, you know, hanging around his neck. His yeah. yeah. So he'll they'll just ram it through and say exonerate him and just use that as an excuse yep for um well, there's there's Republicans and and uh, you know right wing talk show hosts who are who have been saying that for some time now. So uh, yeah yeah spot on. I think that you're absolutely right, Victor. Thank you for the call, Carl in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Carl, what's up? Well, I was um, I'm amazed at the at the variety of responses you get while I was listening, waiting for my turn. Um, anyway, uh, we had an interesting conversation, uh, brief but interesting. You and I did a couple of days ago about. The, the importance of understanding the difference between strategic and tactical thinking or operational thinking. Oh, you're, you're the former general. <laughs> well, not general. <laughs> oh, officer, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm the former Marine officer, but nowhere okay. near general. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we, uh, I, I was sitting down to write on I had a thought, and I wanted to run it by you, see what you uh, I don't Oh, Nancy Pelosi, how to think operationally. She's uh, pretty good at that herself, and Trump's out of his depth even even dealing with it. But anyway, um, what would you think about... I believe she has the authority. I think she could... I don't know if you want to call it pull back or if you want to call it reopen, but I would stop, reopen, and that would end, by the way, the clamor now to transmit it to the Senate but reopen in light of the many recent things, not the least of which is his order to assassinate that general and uh, the resulting airplane crash uh, by some unthinking idiot in, in Iran, and accidental or otherwise, it's still on him, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and reopen it and uh, also gain time. Time is critically important in this, that judges are allowed to make decisions that might and should and probably will be yeah. very favorable in their case. Why not just reopen it and stop all this clamor to send it to the Senate? It'll affect the same thing. It won't go to the Senate. We won't have a, um, you know, a, a, a real trial. Yeah. In factual yeah. trial. Yeah. And, and, and accomplish something else. 
develop some more. Carl, I love your idea. I, I and I agree. And and in Thank fact, I have been I've been waiting for Adam Schiff to convene a public hearing in the Intelligence Committee. He has hinted several times that he might be doing this, um, where they just continue. But I uh, to have Nancy Pelosi say, you know, there there have been a few other things come up. I think my guess is the reason that she's not is because there's not like an absolute uh, consensus would be the wrong word, but certainly a majority public opinion saying, okay, this thing is worth investigating vis-a-vis impeachment. Um, the, the, for example, the Iran thing. I don't think that there, there are, I don't think you're going to find independents and Republicans saying that's worth investigating. Try to mess with an election. Even Republicans and independents are saying, wait a minute, that's beyond the pale. So, uh, you know, it's just that she doesn't yet have an issue that's clear cut enough and on which there's very little ambiguity to go after. Now, I think, though, that what she could do is she could say, you know, our articles are predicated on, you know, his his. Uh, uh, his corruption, essentially, and we now have evidence yeah. that the Russian that a Russian bank was backstopping his loans from Deutsche Bank, and we want to look into that. We want to add that possibly to the articles of impeachment, um, something that kind of builds on what's already happened. But Carl, I think that you're onto something, and I would encourage you to publish an op-ed about it. Carl, I got to run, but thanks for the call. It's great to hear from you. And thanks for watching Free Speech TV. It's 48 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman program, the place where we ask the question. Are corporations really people or persons? And we answer, uh, no, don't think so. <laughs> Need to fix that, you know, with the courts. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We'll be right back with more of your calls in just a moment. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today for the Tom Hartman Book Club is Unmaking the Presidency, Donald Trump's War on the World's Most Powerful Office by Susan Hennessy and Benjamin Witz. And this is from the introduction, page five. Uh, they've described how, you know, all the former presidents, with the exception of uh, Herbert Walker Bush, who was ill, were there for Trump's inauguration, as well as uh, uh, Secretary Clinton and her husband, Bill Clinton. And uh, then he continues, the clock mounted down to the key moment shortly before noon when Donald Trump stood before Chief Justice John Roberts. Trump's wife, Melania, held two Bibles on which he placed his left hand. One was from Trump's childhood. The other was the Bible that Abraham Lincoln used to take his oath of office in 1861. And then Trump raised his right hand and, repeating after Roberts, swore the presidential oath of office. A momentary silence hung in the air. No lightning bolt struck. Ground did not open. The passage of power in the United States had taken place as quietly as ever. Yet in that moment, an earthquake of sorts did occur, because although the United States may, may have been more tragically misguided, may have had more tragically misguided executives at its helm, never before had it had as president a man more obviously misplaced in the office. The mismatch reverberated across the country with the very words of the oath itself. While for millions of Trump supporters, the moment was one of triumph, for a great many others, a sense of dread pervaded the, the air that morning. This dread had little to do with politics or policy programs. It was not the normal apprehension one might have at the swearing in of a politician one opposes. Even many people who had cast their ballots for Trump shared in a collective recognition that the man swearing this oath was simply not the sort of man who was supposed to be president of the United States. That mismatch and the challenge it poses 
to the office Trump assumed that day are the subjects of this book. This mismatch is fundamentally a question of character. At its core, to a far greater degree than Americans commonly imagine, the office of the presidency demands, uh, it depends on a measure of civic virtue. We don't mean civic virtue in the loftier, nostalgic sense of expecting our elected leaders to be scholars, statesmen, who can theorize a system of government as easily as they can lead one. Nor do we mean virtue in the sense of personal righteousness and purity. Americans have long since given up the expectation that our country's leaders will be on a par with its founders, even as the founders' own luster has tarnished over time. The presidency has had its share of rogues and villains and incompetence. That said, a certain common understanding of the presidency has prevailed over more than two centuries. And this understanding, call it the traditional presidency, carries with it certain expectations. It does not expect presidents to be paragons of virtue, but it does expect them to espouse shared values and to at least pose as role models. It expects presidents to speak of service and putting others before self. It expects presidents to, at a minimum, pay lip service to following the law and embracing an ethos of civic duty. And it pervasively depends on presidents thinking that, that they enforce and comply with rules in good faith. By contrast, it was resoundingly clear on January 20th, 2017, that Donald Trump's life and candidacy were an ongoing rejection of civic virtue, even if we define the term loosely. From the earliest days of his campaign, he declared war on the traditional presidency's expectations of behavior. He was flagrant in his personal immorality, boasting of marital infidelity and belittling political opponents with lewd insults. He had constructed his entire professional identity around gold-plated excess and luxury and the branding of self. As a candidate, he remained unabashed in his greed and personal ambition. Even his namesake charitable foundation was revealed for, to be merely a shell for self-dealing. He bragged that finding ways to avoid paying taxes made him smart. The overriding message of Trump's life and of his campaign was that weakness, kindness is weakness, manners are for wimps, and the public interest is for suckers. He never spoke of the presidential office other than as an extension of himself. In America in 2016, that turned out to be a winning message. The reasons why have been treated in depth elsewhere. It was a function of political polarization domestically, of myriad forces driving the appeal of authoritarian populists globally, and of the dramatic loss of confidence in political elites, and of a media ecosystem in which voters can increasingly choose their own realities. It was a function, no doubt, of the resurgence of race as a salient political identity for many white voters. And critically for present purposes, it was a function of political parties' loss of control over their own nominating processes. We'll leave to others the question of how to assess Trump's appeal and the social conditions that allow him to flourish. The re relevant fact for now is that the appeal was broad enough for Trump to win 306 electoral votes and thus acquire the privilege of taking the oath of office that day. And so a man who quite pro pro proudly rejected personal and public virtue now occupied an office designed by people who valued nothing higher. George Washington had said that, quote, virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. John Adams had insisted the public virtue, quote, the only foundation of republics could not exist in a nation without private virtue. Alexander Hamilton had written that virtue and honor were the foundation of confidence that underpinned the institution of delegated power. The contemporary Anglo-Irish philosopher Edmund Burke had famously declared that, quote, society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon will and appetite be placed somewhere. 
on Making the Presidency by Hennessy and Wicks. You know, the, uh, the only two presidents who were ever impeached, thus, you know, credibly accused of crimes that rose to the level of impeachment, and then those crimes were indicted in the House of Representatives with an impeachment vote and tried in the United States Senate. The only two presidents that had that happen, by coincidence, and I'm sure it's just a coincidence, are the only two presidents whose Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel wrote a memo saying you can't arrest a sitting president. What he's doing is too important. He's too busy. He would never go out on the golf course one-third of his presidency. He's busy. You can't arrest him. And Trump now is claiming that not only can't you arrest him, you can't even investigate him, even if he commits murder. Anyway, we've got a video about a president who actually did get arrested for a crime and convicted of it. You can check it out over at TomHartman.com. It's one of our uh, Lister-supported videos. Check it out. Tag, you're it. So we've, we've added a few things to our list. The betrayal of the Kurds conducting foreign policy at the request of a foreign dictator, Erdogan, supporting the coup in Bolivia, supporting the overthrow of the Venezuelan government, the uh, violations of the Hatch Act by Kellyanne Conway and others in his administration, his refusing to turn over his tax returns when the law clearly says he has to turn them over to the House of Ways and Means chairman. We're building a list here. Brandon in Seattle. Hey, Brandon, what's on your mind today? I had a couple grounds for impeachment that came to mind, and first two were actually First Amendment violations. You know, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof is one that the Constitution bars. And the so, First what Amendment specific bars. act did Trump? I mean, I get his rhetoric, you know, but what specific act yeah. that he has done would would you? Uh, say is is so severe that it's impeachable in, in that context yeah so remember when uh, he had the travel ban on six different muslim countries which he initiated mm. advocated for right um, and oversaw right religious so travel would, ban. in my opinion would clearly be you know um a violation and the second uh first amendment um which bars abridging the freedom of the press think about um trump labeling the press enemy of the people um, choosing who he invites into the news conference based on whether they've given him good coverage or not, you know. I agree with you, but I'm not sure that as standalone articles, either of those would be strong enough, but I think that they could be aggregated along with a half a dozen other things that kind of fall into that category. Trash-talking America, trash-talking the opposite political party in ways that are inflammatory, encouraging violence by police, encouraging violence by right-wing paramilitaries. I think those all could be fall, could fall into one large umbrella category, which is, you know, essentially maladministration, which is a high crime or misdemeanor, the right. you know, failure to, to run the government in a way that is consistent with the values of America. I'm yeah, notes I, here. I totally agree. I totally agree with your viewpoint on why aren't we, you know, widening this look at everything that he's done. I mean, just a couple of months ago, we had a federal judge that ruled that Trump violated federal law when he used the declaration of a national emergency to get money for building the wall on the southern border. That's another one, you know? Yeah. You know, during the, uh, I, I did get to see some of the 
uh, impeachment hearing yesterday, and I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, all these Republicans were comparing to other impeachments about how during this one there's absolutely no Republicans that are voting yes in regards to it. But, you know, back then I think there was more bipartisanship as far as caring about the way that the country works, and it just seems like there's so much corruption now on both sides that it's hard to escape it. Yeah. This And and for much of that, uh, sadly, Brandon, we can look at the Supreme Court. I mean, in 1976 and 1978, when the Supreme Court betrayed this country and legalized political bribery in the Buckley and First National Bank decisions, and then when they doubled down on that with Citizens United, tripled down with it in McCutcheon and McDonald, they changed the rules of the game. You know, it's as if the NFL said, you know, whichever team has the most money can have the most players on the field. And so we've got this corrupted political system. I think that we need to keep in mind the original causes of this, though, and that is conservatives on the Supreme Court. Brandon, thank you for the call. Kathy in Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, Kathy, what's up? Oh, I come up with an idea and I wanted to run it by you, but I thought it'd be great for anybody that's running in the Democratic Party. Why don't they get the people together of those businesses that Trump stiffened, the construction workers, and have them do a commercial on what it did to their lives, what it did to their businesses, put faces to his corruption. We're seeing uh, manufacturing, by the way, the manufacturing numbers came out a couple days ago, and it's one of the reasons the market's been going down, because manufacturing in the United States is actually on a decline now. Uh, it right, wasn't but I'm t- well. Right, but I'm talking about what he personally did with his businesses when he did the casinos. Oh, you're talking about like getting that. Trump's employees. Yeah, that you know, right. th- there was an Get effort to do that commercial. in 2016. There, there were some ads to that effect in 2016 of, of people who, who got hurt by Donald Trump, you know, employees of his who got screwed. And, and, and I remember one contractor who had uh, built uh, cabinets and, and furniture for, for his uh, New Jersey casino who never got paid, who I believe did an ad. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a PSA or something, but that's a, that's a great suggestion, Kathy. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's up? Based on today's conversation, I have two quick points to make and a question. Mm -hmm. First of all, we must go wide. It is the very foundation of the modern plea bargain system that you've taught us about, where the government throws the book at you and and you plea bargain down to a reasonable thing. And the Republicans can always excuse away one or two. We're listening to them do it. You're right. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you. Number two is I'm part of a Facebook group with conservatives and liberals, and we argue back and forth on all the issues, and they're totally propagandized by Fox News. And I ask them, do you really want a future Democratic president to do what Trump is doing right now, the obstruction and the whole deal? Crickets, Tom. I keep asking them over and over again. They will not respond to that question, which suggests to me that they know what he's doing is wrong and they don't care. I think I think that's true, David. There's a there's a tribal element to this. And there's also, of course, the you know, the billionaires behind this thing. You know, as long as we get our deregulation and our tax cuts, we don't care what this guy does. Quick question. How can the feds investigate Giuliani and the New York taxes if Bill Barr is head of the Fed? I don't understand that. Well, it's interesting because I almost I almost said that in response to something you said earlier, that they should be impeaching Bill Barr at the same time they're impeaching Trump, in my opinion. He, He is not enforcing the law, which is his job. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's talk media for the sane among us. Rich in Stowe, Vermont. Woo! You, you must have some snow there. It's been a while since I've been to a Stowe. A little bit, a little bit. What's up, Rich? Hey, Tom. I want to see what you think. Okay. It's in the spirit of taking a, a page out of the Republican playbook, and that is you label somebody, and now you can attack them re- relentlessly because they have a label. So if, if all this evidence against Trump for impeachment is irrefutable, if, if we come to the conclusion it's irrefutable and the Senate Republicans are going, to, are going to vote for him, vote to not impeach him, all of them, is it fair that we label them the gang of traitors? You know, I think that we need to be very careful about our use of language, Rich. I'm not afraid to use the word treason, but I always put it in context. This is, you know, treason against the Constitution or treason against the values of our country. But treason against our country itself is giving aid and comfort to the enemy during time of war. I think that if that word is to have the impact that it has historically had, we need to preserve it. I'm perfectly content to say that they are operating in in a political arena that is way beyond the realm of American values. They're just, they're, they're not reflecting American values. They are reflecting the values of autocratic governments, of dictatorial governments, of kleptocratic governments, of, I'm not comfortable with traitor and treason. I, I appreciate that answer. It helps me out. Okay. But so continuing though, is there, since, since they are so effective at labeling and those labels stick and it's a target that they create that's right. really effective, is there a label that, would be more accurate to label the Senate Republicans if and when the time comes? Well, they're betraying American values. They are acting in a way that's not consistent with the Constitution. Is not. I mean, right now, Mitch McConnell just came out a couple days ago, or just a couple hours ago, rather, and said that uh, if, if he and Chuck Schumer can't work out rules for how they're going to run the Senate trial, then he'll just make up his own rules, him and 51 Republicans. When Clinton was impeached, they came up with, and Republicans, I believe, were running the Senate at the time, they came up with a set of rules, and the vote on the rules was 100 to nothing to define, you know, who can do what. McConnell literally has it in his power to say, okay, one of the rules in the Senate is that only Republicans get to speak. Only Republicans get to ask questions. Now, I doubt he'll go that far. But, I mean, right. you know, the, the Senate operates under rules that the Senate defines for itself, and there's nothing in the Constitution that says what those rules have to be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, or specifically. I mean, broadly, you know, majority rules kind of things. But, but I don't believe that Mitch McConnell is committed to anything that resembles a fair process in the Senate trial. And yeah. when this gets to be a Senate trial, I have a feeling we're going to be pulling our hair out as much as we are right now. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, yeah. you know, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Rich, thanks a lot for yeah. the call. Good to hear from you. And, and uh, enjoy the snow there in Vermont. We don't get much of it here in Portland, Oregon. I miss it. Steve in Atlanta, speaking, speaking of which, says you wanted to talk about race. Steve, what's on your mind? Uh, man, I love you because you are 
you speak up for democracy, it's a wonder you haven't been killed, and I appreciate your courage. Yeah. Now, what I was going to say seriously is that Trump, when he said that he called those players because just because they took a knee and protest because of injustices in the NFL, he called them a son of a bitch. Yeah. Just let that resonate with you, America, calling somebody a son. And so we as black men took that, even just for that and that alone, one could not vote for him. And, and, I, and I cannot understand why a few of these uh, black people are standing around as just showcasing women. But uh, I just think uh, that was the worst thing from my well, a lot of things from my perspective uh, that he had done. Now, last thing, quite quickly, is that I was talking to a, a friend of mine, and by the way, we do talk about post-traumatic slave syndrome in, in mm. our groups, and I can talk about slave uh, racism all day. But I, I want I want he calls himself, I'm a football player, and I know street life, too, and academics. But the point is, he come across like he's so tough and all of this, but he's just really a weak, uh, a little weakling uh, that one would want to just be in the ring with him for a minute because, you know, he don't. He don't, if he's not guilty, he don't want to. Uh, he don't want to answer no questions. Don't let nobody come and testify. I mean, all of those are just uh, just weakling. I want to say pussy stuff, but you know what I mean. It's just really crazy, you yeah. know, for him. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather we didn't he's use just, that. He's not really, Steve, he's not as tough as he tried to be. Yeah, you know? I, I, I get it, Steve, and I, I'd rather we didn't use that word on the air. I don't think we need to bleep it, but I, you know, it's just, uh, you know, please let's keep it keep it family friendly here. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right, and I think that a lot of Trump's bullying and blustering right now is coming out of a fundamental weakness and a fundamental insecurity, and every single time that the Republicans, like Mitch McConnell, say they don't want witnesses, the Democrats need to be saying, what are you trying to hide? What's, what are you trying to cover up? Steve, thanks for the call, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I like that uh, PTS, you know, changing stress to slavery syndrome. Uh, fascinating. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So please, get out there, get active, tag your hit. See you soon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 